They ask me about religion, why? They ask me about my race and my tribe. They ask about my complexion, why? When they ask me, this is what I say. My grandfather was a Muslim. And my daddy was a Rasta. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Almighty God be upon each and every one of you. Welcome to this week's edition of A Diaspora of One, a weekly radio program highlighting issues and ideas relevant to the diverse Muslim communities in the Caribbean and Latin America. Guidance is a gift that the Lord shall give to any man or woman, whether small or big. God said you must reflect your happy, use your mind. So now you know the reason why. Exactly six years ago, at the beginning of the Ebola outbreak in Africa, the Grand Mufti of Liberia, Sheikh Abu Bakr Sumawalo of the Gurley Street Mosque, delivered the Eid Khutbah and called on his congregants to avoid shaking hands, avoid embracing each other, and avoid touching. More remarkable, he said, the Islamic requirements of ghusl and kafan for those who died from Ebola were lifted. As the crisis deepened, faith leaders joined with their Christian counterparts to insist that their respective communities heed the government's curfew and avoid social clustering, even at mosques and churches. It was the cost of saving lives, and faith leaders stood with the authority to flatline Ebola in Liberia and neighboring countries. A total of just over 11,000 people died as a result of Ebola. At the time of recording this, the global death toll for COVID-19 is well over 100,000. In these unprecedented times of the global spread of the coronavirus, we can look back and recognize how far-sighted West African Muslim scholars were and have been. Sickness and all forms of illness is from the decree of Allah. Allah reveals the story of Prophet Ibrahim who said to his people, الَّذِي خَلَقَنِي فَهُوَ يَهْدِينَ وَالَّذِي هُوَ يُتْعِمُنِي وَيَسْقِينَ وَإِذَا مَرِدْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ Meaning, it is Allah who creates me and He guides me. He feeds me and gives me drink. And when I am ill, it is my Lord that cures me. In other words, Prophet Ibrahim is making a rational, reasonable case as to why Allah deserves His adoration, His love, His obedience, and not the pantheon of gods he found his forefathers worshipping. One would be hard-pressed to find in the Qur'an or in the seerah of the Messenger of Allah that the sick is blamed for his or her illness. Even the obligatory acts of hajj and fasting in Ramadan are lifted for someone who is ill and unable to fulfill those requirements. That's God's mercy. The requirement of wudu for salah is also lifted in times of illness and necessity. Allah reveals in the Quran, there is no blame on the sick. No blame on the disabled, no blame on the blind, the weak, the leper. What can we learn from the Messenger of Allah's example when it comes to leprosy? A disease the Arabs generally believed to have been contagious and they feared. In Sahih Muslim, we read that a delegation from Banu Thaqif came to give their bay'ah to Allah's Messenger. He was informed that one among them had leprosy. Allah's Messenger instructed them to return to their home and that he had accepted their bay'ah. Was it out of fear of a contagion? 
Most of the commentators say it could be that others in the delegation, due to prolonged exposure to that person during their journey to Medina, may have been infected as well, and that they could spread that to people in Medina. So he sent them back after accepting their oath of allegiance. In Sahih al-Bukhari, the Messenger of Allah is reported to have said, run away from a person with leprosy like you run from a lion. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, is well aware that it is impossible for a person to run from a lion, just as it is impossible to run from the Qadr of Allah. Rather, he وسلم, is giving them permission to establish social and physical distancing. The Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, as narrated in Al-Bukhari and Muslim said, a healthy person should not be brought near a sick person. If the plague appears in a land where you reside, do not depart it. And if it appears in a land other than yours, do not enter it. It is the strongest basis for what we might call modern-day quarantines, social distancing, travel bans, etc., to curb the spread of an infectious disease. And yet we read in the noble seerah of Allah's Messenger وسلم, that the Sahabi Mu'aqib al-Dawsi was a leper. Mu'aqib was persecuted for his faith and managed to escape from Mecca and immigrate to Abyssinia. After the Hijrah, when the community was established in Medina, he returned to be with the Prophet of Allah. Allah's Prophet وسلم, appointed him to be the custodian of the prophetic seal, his ring, which was used to seal documents issued by Allah's Messenger. During the time of Abu Bakr and Umar, Mu'aqib continued to play that role, and whenever the caliphs needed the seal, they would summon Mu'aqib with the ring. When Umar became caliph, he made him a manager of the Baytul Mal, and Umar said, if it wasn't you, Mu'aqib, I wouldn't allow you to approach closer than an arrow's shot. Umar is reported in emulation of the Prophet's example, sat and ate with Mu'aqib from the same plate. Imam al-Zahabi said that Umar sought a treatment for Mu'aqib in two medical practitioners and that a treatment with colonsint was used to halt the progression of Mu'aqib's illness. An interesting footnote in the books of Sirah is that a dispute as to whether Mu'aqib had leprosy in the first place some commentators say he might have had a skin disease that resembled leprosy. Historians have pointed out that in pre-Islamic Arabia, illnesses were not given specific names, but were grouped into categories. It is a sunnah of Allah's messenger to care and to visit the sick. Ibn Majah said that Allah's messenger was brief in that he gave the ill person hope of a speedy recovery and that he used to recite while touching their right shoulder. Lord of mankind, remove this hardship. Grant a cure. You are the healer. There is no cure but from you. A cure which leaves no trace of illness. شفاء لا يغادر سقما اللهم اشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين اللهم اشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين اللهم اشف مرضانا That was a commentary by Nazim Baksh, a journalist and TV producer with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Assalamu alaikum. 
May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon each and every one of you. Welcome to this week's edition of A Diaspora of One. On today's program, we have a panel comprising of a journalist, a medical doctor, and a community activist, all here to discuss the topic of caring for the sick as prescribed in Islam. Assalamu alaikum, gentlemen. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa alaikum Thank you for taking the time to join us today in this whole discussion of caring for the sick. So we all heard the commentary from Nazim on caring for the sick and that whole piece that was done talking about the different aspects. Dr. Reza, this first question is directed to you basically, where is, when we talk about visiting to the sick, do we only visit people we know or should we visit people we don't know as well? Well, I, I think I think if we just step back a bit and think about this topic about visiting the sick from an Islamic perspective, you know, as a Muslim, you know, visiting the sick is one of the five duties of one Muslim to one to another, and we know that the Prophet Muhammad, um, upon whom be peace, has told us that every Muslim has five rights over another, and those words one is to to return the greetings. If somebody tells you "Assalamu alaikum," you reply in kind, meaning that you send peace upon them and then they reply the same and then to visit the sick to accompany funeral processions to accept an invitation and to respond to the one who sneezes somebody sneezes so you can think about it in terms of for other people and visiting the sick is all part of that and if you think about some other things that the prophet muhammad upon whom the peace has told us about visiting the sick he says that when the muslim visit his sick brother or sister He's harvesting the fruits of paradise until he returns. So you can see, you know, there is so much reward to be gained from visiting the sick. He says again, whoever visits a sick person or visits a brother or sister in Islam, a caller cries out to him, may you be happy, may your walking be blessed, and may you occupy a dignified position in paradise. There is no Muslim who visits a sick person early in the morning, but that 70,000 angels send blessings on him until evening comes. And if he visits him in the evening, 70,000 angels send blessings upon him until morning comes and he will have a garden in paradise. So you can see from, from, uh, from these things of the Prophet, visiting the sick really occupies a, a very important place in Islam. Right. Uh, Alim, you, you want to chime in here on this particular topic? Yes. Um, you know, sometimes uh, we uh, misinterpreted uh, a lot when we speak about a sick person here, we are speaking about any sick person. It does not mean to say a Muslim sick person. And should we visit uh, those who we don't know? I think we have to understand that in this context, it does not mean someone who we don't know religiously or a part of a community. Our neighbors are people we know. They may be your people of other beliefs. They may be people of no faith. So yes, we should be visiting but in the context of the pandemic, we have to be uh, abundantly cautious. Right. And um, Nazim, how about you? What is your opinion in respect to this? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd like to uh, thank uh, uh, Rabbi Reza for uh, making those points. But I wanted to also ask him as well, you know, what does visiting the sick, there's all these spiritual and beautiful benefits that you get to bring people closer together and to maintain ties of communal harmony and love among people. Is there any health benefit, any good benefit that comes as a result of visiting an ill person? I think if you were to look back at, at some of the um, scientific studies which has been done you know, over the last few decades, 
on um, the effect of visiting the sick, one of the things that we would notice is that there has been a correlation between positive patient-related outcomes and visiting the sick in, in quite a few regards. One is in terms of rapid recovery times. What they found is that if people were visited in hospital, that somehow or the other that the, their recovery period was much faster. Then the other thing is that they looked at the length of stay. So if you had somebody who, for instance, uh, went to hospital and nobody came to visit them, as opposed to somebody who w- was in hospital, but they had others who were there with them, who, or the friends and family who were coming to visit them, that there was a decreased length of stay with those who came and visited them. And the other thing is about boosting of patient morale. They, they showed a clear correlation between a, pers- a patient's morale and, the, and, and when, when they were visited by family members. These have been validated by many studies which have been done over the last few decades. And, and hence the reason why what you would find now in, in many hospitals is that patient and family-centered care has become a very important component of healthcare. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, I, I wanted to just ask uh, Brother Alim as well. Um, you, you mentioned a point about visiting people who are not necessarily... Uh, from your community, from your faith community, but, but expanding it uh, on a wider level. Uh, what prompted you to, to make that point? I mean, that's an interesting point. Well, well there, there are numerous levels of, of good that comes from it. Uh, at a societal level, what it does, it shows really the ethos of the faith, which is one of caring, one of compassion, one of mercy. At a spiritual level, God didn't describe visiting him in terms of visiting a, a Muslim sick only. He says any sick person. So you want proximity to God, visit the sick. Right. And I, you know, I, I just wanted to go back just to round off this point here uh, that uh, Dr. Riza was, uh, was making about the immense spiritual benefit and how the Prophet ﷺ never failed to, to, to visit the ill. And, and the relationship, uh, Brother Riza, between thinking or visiting the ill person and its connection to being reminded of the life to come. You know, how valuable that is in our time uh, as we live through this pandemic. Absolutely. You know, um, in, you know currently in, in my hospital, you know, I was at work um, last night and, you know, we have something like over 112 patients with uh, COVID-19. And we've already had 55 deaths in a, you know, in a relatively small hospital. And it's, it's, it's just overwhelming. And just last night I had the... Um, I had to make a difficult decision in, in, in one of the patients who was deteriorating about his status with regards to end of care. And um, it's, it's something, and, and having difficult decisions and, and, and discussions is something that, you know, we have been trained to do. But I find that every time that, you know, you have to, you know, undergo and undertake one of those, it's, 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 um, it's so traumatic. And this is where, you know, visiting the, the sick really helps and visiting those who are close to you. Because you might be in a state whereby you might be able to better understand what is happening. And some of that information about the condition that is and what is happening coming from you can make a difference in terms of being able to allay fears and concerns of the patient. And, and just on this point, you know, I just want to give you an example of with somebody who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So there was a family which uh, I didn't know very well, but, but they knew me and they said, look, you know, our dad has been diagnosed with a condition, you know, and it's a terminal lung condition. Can you please come and visit and, and um, talk to him and explain to us what is going on? 
So I went and I went to their home and I um, sat down and I looked at all their medical records and I realized that, you know, this person had, you know, he had lung cancer, he had um, metastases, meaning it had spread throughout his body. And, um, you know, his time was very limited. And he didn't, he didn't really at that stage appreciate what was happening and they didn't appreciate either. So I had to take both sets of, of um, him, one, uh, you know, in, in separately and then the family separately and then both of them together. And then sort of take them through what was happening to them and also to be able to help him to begin that process of making peace with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and, and that can be difficult, but once you begin to realize what is happening, and then you begin to realize that, in a sense, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has still given you an opportunity to be able to decide what you do and how it is that you can live um, the, the rest of your life, no matter how long. And, and knowing that at some stage, and it may be in the near future, that, that you may well pass away, is something which um, which helps us, and, and it's something can have a tremendous impact on 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 him and on the family and on everyone else. And when I left that conversation, I, I got a call from him afterwards, you know, thanking me for what I had done and that his spirits had suddenly raised. And you know, he felt much more better and much more optimistic about things and much more inclined to want to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think if we can manage to achieve that, you know, when we visit others, um, especially when they are in a terminal state, you know, that is a tremendous uh, blessing. Yeah, mashallah. That's powerful, uh, Dr. Reza. Mashallah, it's very good. You know, I wanted to just move on the adab or the etiquette of uh, visiting the ill. And we know from the life of our Prophet ﷺ that he visited people regularly, daily. And in fact, we know the famous hadith in Sahih Bukhari where the Prophet ﷺ asked his companions, who did uh, a good thing today? Who, you know, who fasted today? He started off and Abu Bakr said, I did. And he said, who visited the sick today? And Abu Bakr said, I did. And he said, who did a janazah today? And Abu Bakr said, I did. And who fed the poor? And Abu Bakr said, I did. You know, I mean, visiting was his custom, was his habit of visiting. And I just wanted to turn to Alim and, and ask, uh, what are the proper etiquette in, in our age, looking at the sunnah of our prophet, but how do we visit in this age of virtual reality and social media and all of that, knowing fully well that we can't physically visit someone who has contagious illness? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for that question, Sidi Brother Nazim. It is very important to understand what uh, sickness means to a person. A sick person, in a sense, is also struggling with their inner state. They do not have a, perhaps, as Dr. Riza said, a comprehension of what's taking place. So here is where it's not necessary to have physical contact in terms of actually being in a room. And in this time of this contagion, it is impractical to do that. We are fortunate to live in an era where we have so much technology that brings us face-to-face, voice-to-voice with so many people that need to hear other human voices. But ensure, first of all, that their physical needs are taken care of. We are as well fortunate. It doesn't mean to say, for example, if the person is living alone, make sure that they have food, leave it at their door, do something like that. And after you have ensured that their their physical well-being is being taken care of, understand as well that words of encouragement is important. You know, we have a knack of saying to people who we know are in a really desperate illness, uh, you know, I know Mohammed uh, down the street. Uh, he had a, a cousin 
who was suffering with the same thing. And the man died within, you know, a couple of days of him being diagnosed. And, you know, we bring all these sorts of stories to them. Well, the prophet's teachings on this is that you mention positive words. You try to make that person happy. You say, don't worry, you'll get better. Allah will give you good health. Allah will give you long life, etc. It's also an opportunity to make dua for that person. Oh, the most tolerant, oh, the most kind, cure Asif, cure whoever this person is in, in front of you. So there is that question. And it's also an important point to note that that, that person in, is, is experiencing probably uh, dispirited and in the dispirited heart you find God. So it's also a good opportunity to ask that person to pray for you because they get so close and so, so spiritual at these moments. You ask them to make a, a prayer for you, a supplication, a dua. So these are some important points to note in terms of how we interact with sick people. The technology today does allow us to visit, not in the physical sense, but rather in an even more direct and intimate way. Because sometimes when you see somebody face-to-face, -face, you are hesitant, you are shy. But when you speak to them uh, on the phone, you can really share your sentiments. Dr. Riza, I wanted to ask you about in, in this age of uh, contagious uh, diseases and you're in hospital. I mean, when people are terminal and they're ill, how effective uh, is it for them to hear, even hear the voice on a phone or a, a tablet, an iPad or something, to have those conversations as they breathe their last? Having those conversations and being in, in contact, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really powerful. I mean, one of the things that we've instituted in, in our hospital is that um, each, each ward and each bee has, has iPads, and the iPads is, is freely available to all of our patients um, which allows them to be able to connect in real time with family members, especially in, in light of COVID-19, where they're not able to visit relatives on the wards. And that virtual connection is something which, um, it makes a tremendous difference, especially an elderly loved one or somebody with, you know, quite a few comorbidities, goes into hospital for any condition in light of what is happening now. And that might be the last time that you might see the person that you would not be allowed to visit in the absence of you know this type of technology which we have available it will become it will be very difficult but what has happened is that virtual um, connection has allowed people to be able to remain in contact so this has made a, a tremendous impact in in, in you know in, in terms of um, treating our patients one thing I wanted to find out about here, um, and maybe you could shed some light onto it, is with respect to COVID-19 now, we cannot actually physically be there with them, right? It's either over through the phone or maybe or using uh, their computers or something like this. That sense of touch, physical, just touching the patient, does that actually have any sort of added benefit to it or the way in which we're doing it now, it's just as good. I think the power of touch is something that we often underestimate. Power of a hug, the power of a kiss, the power of, of simply being there, the power of, of our phys physical proximity um, is, is so powerful. And I think for many people, especially in light of social distancing now, which is really physical distancing that we're trying to achieve, to, to, um, to, spread, to stop the spread of the, um, the virus, that we now realize how important that is. The point I want to make about this also is that very often we, we wait until people become ill or something happens to them before we want to connect with them. I mean, and just maybe, just maybe, you know, with COVID-19 and being in the, you know, spending a lot more time with family members now, 
will afford us the opportunity to realize how important it is for us to be able to, you know, to stay in contact with our family, to be able to establish and build bonds uh, and, to, and to build, you know, that closeness, that close net within the family. Um, that, that is so important. We don't need to wait until somebody goes into hospital before we decide to give them a call or before we decide to, to talk to them or build a relationship with them or ask them about things. We can do it, you know, we have the opportunity to do it when they are well and we should take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, you know, it's interesting that, that we're living in, in this particular time uh, and, and we want to take this, this, this first show uh, a conversation about illness and, and because it is, it is the global topic that everybody is talking about. But in, in, if you open our books of fiqh, uh, or jurisprudence, uh, and you look at, for example, Imam Shafi. He has a whole list of rules of visiting. As as Brother Alim was saying earlier, we visit neighbors, we visit friends, we visit people that we know casually. We know we hear news of people that we visit that are sick and or, or ill at home or in hospital, and we can call them. We could, you know, uh, send a message. You know, in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu we have the Sahabiyat who uh, cooked for families that had an illness that they couldn't care for themselves i mean cooking for somebody what about taking things like for example imam shafi said don't get dressed up when you're visiting the sick or wear perfume uh, oud or ether because that might make them feel helpless you know uh, how the kind word Ali was talking about the dua and i mentioned it before in my commentary but uh, just end with with, with some of that advice uh, brother riza about etiquette of, of visiting imam shafi said don't spend too long don't overstay don't be booking around you know you make dua to leave but but how helpful are some of those points today in in this age of illness and sickness before brother Riza uh, uh, explains or com comments on this particular issue i'd like to add we have a tendency when we visit the sick uh, if 10 people visited a particular sick person we would question that person about the nature of the illness what is their diagnosis you know, how did it happen? And a whole slew of things. And the conversation becomes very tiring after 10, 15 people uh, uh, have questioned them. Could you comment as well on that, Dr. Reza? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, one of the things that we need to be, um, to be careful about is, is confidentiality. And, and, and that's, that's really important. And my suggestion would be that really we should, you know, rather than trying to probe into all the integrity and details of you know the, of the nature of the illness. Visit just visiting that the person is in hospital is enough. We don't need to get in you know involved in all of the details because we may be well being true in, in in that person's you know private um, affairs. The other thing about it is that I think a lot of people when they um, when they decide to visit the sick they, they haven't really thought about what they are going to do. So you need to be able to think through what are you going to do, what are you going to see. As Brother Nazi mentioned, you know, what are you going to wear? How long are you going to spend? What words of optimism do you want to bring to that conversation? What are the, the positive things that you want to leave the person with? What do you want to make in that dua? What do you want to, want to remind them about? You may want to remind them about some positive experience that maybe you've had with them before. And then being able to remind them of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Those things are really, really important in terms of, in terms of etiquette or visiting um, somebody who is ill. 
Well, gentlemen, we have reached the end of today's session, and I would like to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to be here with us today. Nazim, thank you for the very informative commentary and participation in the program. And Dr. Reza and Alim, thank you for your advice and information on caring for the sick. You have been listening to the program Diaspora of One, a radio program highlighting issues and ideas relevant to the diverse Muslim communities in the Caribbean and Latin America. Join us again on our next program when we will be discussing the topic of Ramadan. Until then, Assalamu Alaikum. They ask me about religion, why? They ask me about my race and my tribe. They ask about my complexion, why? When they ask me, this is what I say. My grandfather was a Muslim. And my daddy was a Rasta. They were searching for the truth. And the Quran gave the answer. They put their hands up to the sky. And they asked the Lord why. We now got worship the creation. We only pray to the creation.